Hey y'all, welcome to the Visit Roswell podcast where we talk all things tourism and hospitality related in Roswell, Georgia. We will be interviewing our partners all throughout the community and hopefully inspiring you to plan a trip to visit Roswell at your natural pace. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Andy Williams, Executive Director with Visit Roswell, the City of Roswell's official destination marketing organization. And we are back with another episode of Crafting Roswell, where we talk all things hospitality and tourism throughout the community. And um, if you tuned in a couple of weeks ago, we had Dina Bush with uh, Roswell Recreation Parks Historic and Cultural Affairs on. And she gave us uh, a great conversation and load of information on the historic assets and a number of other things that that particular uh, department does for the community uh, with regard to the historic assets, our history, and what that looks like moving forward. And kind of as a phase two, round two to that, we have two special guests with us today. Um, I'm joined by Kelly Callum and Simone Dubois. We are specifically going to be speaking about Mimosa Hall. And there has been a lot of great conversation, uh, a lot of great momentum with regard to what's going on at Mimosa Hall and Gardens. And um, particularly today, we're gonna dive into the whole roof project and what that looks like to be net zero. So um, it is a pleasure to have both of you on. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Thank you. All right. So, um, Simone, let's start with you. Give us kind of the lay of the land on your background and, and where you kind of mix into the fold with uh, with this project. You know, what, what led you to this? So the previous owner of Mimosa Hall was a good friend of mine, and um, I am a licensed architect and certified general contractor, and um, we specialize in uh, carbon neutral buildings. So in other words, if someone will do any type of project, but it needs to include um, alternative energy. And we also do LEED projects, which is um, a program by the US Green Building Council. Um, so when I found out about the project, um, or I found out that uh, the previous owner was interested in selling this, um, there was also a developer that was interested in purchasing this property. And at the time I was um, on the Historic Preservation Commission um, for the city of Roswell. So I had the opportunity to hear and see the plans that were being proposed for Mimosa. And um, not only did I find that alarming um, because they wanted to put homes in front of Mimosa Hall on uh, the grounds, which are, I think the landscaping is just as important as the building. Um, not only was I alarmed, but a large bit of the community was involved as well. And um, that started um, you know, the process of looking at other ways to do this. And quite honestly, uh, my business partner said, um, when she heard about what was going on, she said, wouldn't it be great if we could make Mimosa Hall carbon neutral? Mm -hmm. Um, so I can't take the credit for that, but my partner, Denise Donahue, was the one that kind of put the bug in my ear. And yeah. so then um, I met Kelly and a lot of other really great folks, and uh, we started working on it. That's amazing. So Kelly, you guys met. So how did you become involved in this? Um, actually, Andy, what, what's interesting about Simone's story, um, so when the developer... Um, 
uh, was proposing, and, and by the way, the developer, for those that are listening, they re may remember, it was a terrific developer who they do wonderful work, beautiful, beautiful projects in Woodstock and north of here. So it wasn't, um, the concern was not that they wouldn't do a good job wherever they were. The concern was um, this was not the appropriate place to be putting something pretty or not. Um, there because the idea, and again, it can be looked up or, or people may know the story, but Mimosa was going to be the clubhouse for approximately, and don't quote, but a lot of houses surrounding it. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, Simone sitting on the historic preservation, they were going to, um, to them firstly to get it rezoned, which as we all know, we've got um, plenty of traffic issues and such um, in the historic district to begin with, and then adding all those homes would have been a big issue. So that's where it kind of began. But I really got introduced to Simone um, at one of those very first meetings where, um, as part of a grassroots effort, there were lots of folks that had been, become aware that um, Mimosa was on the market and that this developer had put in a bid on it. And um, we were we were all um, just hoping there was another way um, that this home could be saved. And I, I will say, and we can talk about this more uh, either later on this or in another mm -hmm. segment, but I will say, you know, for Roswell, we we are so fortunate. We've got already three historic homes that are true treasures, right, for our community. And I can only speak for myself and um, the beginning grassroots uh, group that began um, prior to Friends of Mimosa Hall and Gardens. But what we didn't want to do as both citizens of Roswell and just of the wider community is to convince the city to purchase it and then have another albatross on our hands um, and a money pit um, that uh, was saving another, you know, just to have another old house. Um, Mimosa is far more than that. And from the very beginning, um, the idea um, with Simone's help and lots of other uh, professional folks uh, lending their expertise, time, talent, and treasure, um, we had envisioned um, figuring out a new way to save uh, projects like this for all of prosperity, not just for Roswell, but to make them a beacon of inspiration of how it can be do done uh, in, in a sustainable way all the way around, you know, not just energy wise. So I, I mentioned that because that is a very crucial piece to the story of Mimosa, which we are only at the very beginning of telling, I really believe. So anyway, right. that said, we believe there are enough communities certainly surrounding us that are focused on the new and shiny <laughs> because they aren't lucky enough as we are in Roswell to have the historical and natural gems um, to save. So I'm proud to be a part of um, a group, a community, um, uh, you know, we include mayor and council uh, be, at that time and, and currently serving to understand um, how important that was and to do the work with us. So, yeah, um, yeah so that's a long answer to the <laughs> to the question. No, that and actually you did a great job of setting up that next question, because, um, you know, a lot of our audience members, um, they're familiar with Barrington, they're familiar with Bullock and Smith. And so from Mimosa, which they perhaps haven't had the chance to access, uh, which obviously many people haven't at this point. Can you kind of, you know, walk us through the history of that particular home and, and why it is relevant and um, just kind of give us the lay of the land with uh, what it looks like now and, and kind of um, where it came from? 
Cherokee Nation lived in the Roswell area until 1838. In May 1830, Georgia passed the Indian Removal Act, which, which exchanged the Cherokees' North Georgia land with the territory west of the Mississippi. In 1831, surveyors began dividing North Georgia into lots, which were awarded to prospective settlers via a land lottery. Roswell and Barrington King, prospectors from coastal Georgia, purchased much of this land in what is now North Fulton County. They gave a 10-acre house lot to John Dunwoody in 1838 as an incentive to build a house and settle into the new town of Roswell. In addition to having Mimosa Hall built, John Dunwoody had at least four slave quarters built on the property to house his approximately 30 slaves. He also had a carriage house on the property and a small garden in which his wife grew peaches and quince. Although some of the growth on the property survived, much of the grounds were destroyed when the Union Army camped there in 1864. In the 1870s, Caroline Hansel tried to restore the original Dunwoody Garden by planting lily of the valley and more mimosa trees. Neil Reed had the greatest impact on the property as he redesigned the grounds. He converted the area around the house into 15 separate garden areas, one of which is believed to have been built on the original Dunwoody Garden. Reed designed a sunken garden, a reflecting pool with surrounding garden, a weeping tree garden, a rose garden, a cutting garden, and an alley. He also designed the stone courtyard in front of the house. Gus Tolson replaced the sunken garden with a swimming pool, but otherwise the original garden rooms created by Reed still exist today. I, I was only lucky enough uh, before um, becoming involved to step on that property from the very beginning and anybody, any lay person, not somebody who's an architect like Simone, in my opinion, when you step on that property, um, electricity shoots through your, <laughs> through the bottoms of your feet. Right. Um, there is so much there seen and unseen, um, that it's hard to describe, but the history as we know it, um, has all been documented. Um, Friends of Mimosa has a great, um, historical, uh, a biography, uh, uh, of all that. But if you're looking for just a general, um, uh, Mimosa story, for, for this conversation, Simone, would you say that, um, you know, say say from Sally's family going up, could you do that or, or what, what do you think? I know that um, Sally Hansel's family, I mean, she was the last surviving heir and both uh, her grandparents and her parents um, were involved in that. And I believe her great grandfather as well, um, but I have to tell you, as a caretaker, I mean, just having been friends with Sally, I, I just can't imagine the amount of time and energy that goes into that. It's it's really astounding, and um, you know, there's some really wonderful features there in the house. You know, with the library and just the architecture itself is really astounding. I can't. What I can speak to that I think maybe a historian is may not be as in tune to these things as I am, but from an architectural standpoint in terms of this home having the ability to be carbon neutral, it really starts with the type of construction. So this home is really rather unusual. I mean, it's all masonry construction on the exterior, which provides a really hefty R value. So that's the insulative qualities of those exterior walls. 
Um, and then the orientation. So with alternative energy and specifically photovoltaics or solar thermal, what you're looking for ideally is a Southern orientation. So what this home has is the house is facing South, <clears throat> but excuse me, but the roofs have an East and West exposure. Huh. So if we would have tried to have done this maybe 10 years ago, it would have been very difficult because the inverter technology was not there to balance out those systems. So now we have MPP um, uh, potential in the inverters. And what that allows is the balancing of this east-west system. So I was very excited about that because you know trying to do this on every historic home is probably not possible. Mm -hmm. But Mimosa really was very unique in its features um, and because of that. And also the landscaping, the trees, even though there are a lot of very mature trees, the landscaping is just beautiful. We don't have a lot of shading on the roof from those trees. So right. again, all of these things just kind of pulled together and made it very ideal um, to try to get this to be a carbon neutral building. Got it. That's perfect. Simone was mentioning just the magic of everything that came together in terms of the house being um, the right facing and all of that as part of the history. Um, Simone is not the only architect who has loved and shown her passion for Mimosa, but one of the most famous owners um, of it was um, a um, architect who's known for his work. And Andy, you may already know, know this story uh, about Neil Reed, but that's really important, I think, in all the stories that we tell about Mimosa, because as Simone right. alluded to, the house itself, as much as we love it, and um, the grounds are worth as much, if not more, than the house. And Neil Reed, in addition to some architectural features, um, spent a lot of time, had a great love and passion for the gardens, and he has mm -hmm. his thumbprint on those. So. Well, let's, let's talk about um, you know how long this this idea has been in the making. And Simone, you you know you talked about the historic preservation commission meeting um, when the development conversation came about. So, what's kind of the timeline been to get to where we are now? Oh well, it's been quite um, quite a path, quite a journey, and um, it's it's. I think we're we are seeing the success today because of a tremendous amount of dedication from a lot of people. And um, it, it, it really has taken that. It, it has been a long, slow journey, if you will. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I, how many years ago was that, Kelly? I so mean, we're going on four, four years in the fall right? when, we, right. when, we, when we finally, yeah. uh, when the city closed and, mm -hmm. and uh, we were able to run, run with things. Yeah. Um, but again, the, I, the idea was there before everything was was formal. So we, we always had um, this dream. And again, um, because of the things that Simone uh, was talking about earlier, it was the perfect um, the, the perfect spot. It needed a new roof. We knew that it needed a new roof. Um, and uh, Simone and her partner, Denise Donahue, um, had a system which is very cutting edge, which is a solar integrated system um, and using uh, Sonin batteries, which actually are, it's a German company, the parent company is um, in Germany, but are actually produced here in uh, Tucker, Georgia. So mm -hmm. about 20 miles away, these batteries that are gonna help us um, achieve um, full, full net zero. 
um, are, are made here in Tucker, Georgia. And, um, and really we were relying on um, Simone and Denise's partnerships after many years of being in the business of solar. They were kind enough to share their contacts um, so that we could um, invite those, those corporations to partner with us to, um, to, to see this vision come through. And others, you know, it took a lot, uh, Georgia Pacific, who um, I hope we talk a little bit about uh, a little bit later here, but um, uh, they, they sh we, we were lucky enough to um, have some connections there and to share our story. And they, they have been become great partners um, because they share not just the vision, but the excitement and understanding that this really can be a model um, for not just cities, but individuals of what is really possible um, going forward. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Love to hear that, too. And I, I think um, there's definitely been some great headways made with uh, building those relationships and establishing those partnerships. And hey, who knows what the, what the future holds with regard to what could happen. And kind of on that note, um, you know, we, we've seen the photos of the uh, you know, the roof going on and it's, I mean, it obviously it looks pretty, pretty intricate from my end, you know, with somebody not um, plugged into um, that type of thing. So what is the status, you know, with the roof? Are we fully functional at this point? Is there more to go? What's, what's that look like? Well, the roof is complete. Um, so the roof um, consists of, you know, we had to do some repairs there mm -hmm. um, and removing the old roof was quite a task. Um, and then we put down um, a, a membrane um, that's like a, an extra layer of protection for water damage, if you will. It's pretty thick. It's about uh, 60 mil. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the products that we used was a Georgia Pacific product there. Um, all Any of the framing that we had to repair, that was all Georgia Pacific wood. Um, and then our substrate, our roof substrate, we used... Um, it's called uh, Plitanium, and that was a Georgia Pacific product as well. Um, so they were a very wonderful partner. Um, and then the uh, metal roof itself, it's a 22 gauge metal roof, which is very thick. It's a thick gauge metal, which will last lifetimes. Mm -hmm. um, and then that's a Kynar finish. So it's considered a cool roof. So even though it's a medium bronze color, it doesn't get as hot. It, that Kynar finish keeps it the roof from getting so hot, which also helps our PV, the photovoltaic panels. So the PV panels are laminated to the bottom of the standing seam metal pan, okay? And there are a total of 80 PV panels. And then underneath that, there's also a solar thermal system. And what that does is that's what, the hotter any PV panel gets, the less energy it produces. So oh, the solar I'm... thermal thermal system is wicking the heat away from that metal roof and transferring that into another alternative energy, which is hot water. So the solar thermal system will provide about 80% of the domestic hot water for the building. Wow, okay. And so that has all been installed um, and the batteries, so there are a total of four inverters. Um, each inverter uh, handles 5.58 kilowatts of uh, DC energy. And then there are two uh, 10 kW uh, Sonin batteries and then the solar thermal system. So there's a total of seven building integrated alternative energy systems 
okay, on the building. And those are housed down in the utility room in the basement. <laughs> and um, so the roof is complete. Um, all of those systems are installed. Uh, the solar thermal system has been commissioned. Uh, the batteries have been commissioned. Um, one of, or I'm sorry, the, the four inverters have been commissioned. One of the batteries has been commissioned and we're working through the second battery commissioning. So um, all of that we expect will be done um, by Wednesday of next week. Everything right. is connected. Um, everything is functioning, um, but the commissioning part is, you know, takes a little time. And what the commissioning means is that it's balancing out all the systems and making sure that everything is working optimally. Okay. And so with that, um, when we estimated, uh, we did a baseline of the energy usage of the house, and that was about 26,000 kilowatt hours annually. Wow. We estimate that the PV, the photovoltaic system alone, will generate about 30,000 kilowatt hours. And then you've got the addition of the two sewn in batteries and the, then the domestic hot water. So, you know, the goal is to have this carbon neutral building, but I have to emphasize that reaching that goal depends on us. So it depends on how we operate that building and not leaving things on when they're not necessary. Right. So people forget that, you know, in the, in the realm of alternative energy, we have a big role to play in that. Even at your house, I'm sure everybody's had children or grandchildren. And then it's like, why are all these lights on? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. <I'm through> that <laughs> right now. <laughs> right. Right. So that's an, that's an important factor as well. Right. That's great. And then, um, you know, so once this project is complete and it, let's speak specifically to the home too, I mean, this is going to be different than just a home where you can take tours and, and learn the history. This is going to be an activated space and, and really the grounds are going to be a place where the public can convene and celebrate and meet and um, do things a little bit differently. So, um, you know, I'm sure you all have opinions on that. It's, are you excited about that? Is um, it, it seems Super like excited? Yeah. yeah, Andy. Um, thank you for that segue because one piece of what um, Simone is describing, you know, we've got all this technology in there. But what, what's super exciting for some of us that have been on this project as lay people is the educational um, piece of it. Mm -hmm. um, because we will actually be able to see in real time what is happening at Mimosa, how much we're using to Simone's point. If somebody's left something on, we'll be after an event, we'll be able to see that. Um, but we'll also be able to see um, again in real time um, what excess energy is being stored and all of that. Um, I, I, we're, we're working right now with the city of Roswell and they've been great about this, um, whether or not uh, the, this'll be a link on their site. Um, certainly we hope Friends of Mimosa will have something on our website, but um, for, for anybody we'll be able to access and um, really see how we're doing over there. Um, one thing we um, haven't gotten into, um, which I think is for myself part two and a big reason why I was super excited, um, other than the cost savings and just knowing it's the right thing to do, 
um, to to be net zero or as Simone mentioned, net neutral. And maybe we we talk mm -hmm. about what the difference of that mm -hmm. is just very quickly. But um, is that with the batteries, it allows us to store that excess energy. And based on calculations that were made early in the project, even a few years ago, um, for those that are listening to this who um, are maybe energy savvy, um, SRECs, which are Solar Renewable Energy Credits, that's what the acronym stands for. Okay. Um, and I'll let Simone speak to even a few years ago, how many we thought we would actually be accumulating. But let's just for <laughs> general uh, summary say, we are expecting to save um, more energy than Mimosa will be using even as a public space. Wow. And currently um, in Georgia, we aren't able to, because of the laws, able to, um, to sell those. However, um, things are changing and there's many more states from when we began this project who have now um, changed those laws and we expect Georgia to do that, mm -hmm. not soon in the future. And that would actually lend itself to uh, selling those SRECs and being able to reinvest it, it into Mimosa and make it from what we said at the beginning of this interview, sustainable in all ways, meaning mm -hmm. that roof is not just gonna save us in energy costs, it will actually um, provide extra income mm -hmm. to sustain the gardens, to sustain what's ever needed and technology for programming and such. So that is that is really the next phase when we talk about, <laughs> you know, Mimosa is gonna be an ongoing project, but what we really hope is um, that we will be successful in these endeavors and we can um, be a beacon for other folks to, to do this, um, whether it's in a city or the private sector mm -hmm. of, of how this can actually work um, by mapping it out. So um, so yeah. I, I hope that, that folks follow our story and, um, and uh, educate themselves about that along with us. But um, back to, we, we really hope Mimosa will be an education center um, for that type of work. That's incredible. Uh, it's funny. I joke that like these, these podcasts are just as good for our staff because we always walk away learning something new. And I, I, I didn't know that. And um, gosh, I know when you're able to, you know, pay for the things that you're doing and be self-sustaining, I mean, that, that, that's music to anyone's ears, obviously. So, um, and the fact that you're going to be able to reinvest if you get to that point, um, is, is very exciting. So that, it's that's a big incredible. piece of the story. So I don't know how yeah. you slice that into your programming. And actually maybe Simone's being very kind and letting me talk about something that she's actually much more knowledgeable <laughs> about. Maybe Simone, is there anything you want to add to the SREX just so that we, we have somebody well, who's, I, I mean, I think it's good for the public to know. Okay, so in the United States, our utility grids are, uh, there are a lot of different players in that realm. Mm -hmm. right? So in order to have SRECs, that's solar renewable energy credits. So you get these in addition to the energy that you generate, okay? So an SREC is 1000 kilowatt hours, okay? So this system we expect will generate 30 SRECs a year. And they're like stock certificates. Okay. But in order to have these SRECs, your state needs to have a renewable energy portfolio, okay? So as Kelly said, Georgia does not right now, but we do really anticipate that changing as it's rapidly changing in a lot of states. 
So just for example, South Carolina has just established theirs, okay? Mm -hmm. And North Carolina did theirs last year. So the way that the SRECs kind of work in, this, in the United States is that you need to have an adjacent state touching you to be able to sell those SRECs, okay? okay. And it's like a stock certificate, so the price varies all over the place, right? So um, in New Jersey, they're um, maybe between $200 and $300 in SREC, okay? Mm -hmm. In DC, they're over $1,000 in SREC. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's the variation that you see in, in terms of the value. Now, the other thing is an SREC is one piece of an environmental attribute. So there are other environmental attributes that exist when you generate solar. So solar is the cleanest of all of them. So whatever you generate, you get 100% of. So beyond SREX, you also are generating carbon credits, which are also very important. So it's very exciting. I mean, you know, it's a very exciting time, like Kelly said, because what really interests me is, is a couple things. One, taking a historic home and putting a building integrated alternative energy system on it that does not compete or um, take over the historic mm -hmm. aesthetics of the house. And this type of system that we've used really, I believe, does that because you, the solar thermal system is completely invisible. Yeah, right, right. And the PV panels, the photovoltaic panels, are very different than those thick crystalline kind of boxes that sit on top. So, yeah. you know, it doesn't, it's really aesthetically, it's a really, I mean, it's a very um, sensitive, I think, approach to being able to do this. And to me, it's very exciting when you can do this on a historic property, you know, because you've got other things that you don't have with new properties, you know, you've got other expenses. So yeah. how great oh, yeah. <laughs> to have like these other, the potential of these other methods of assistance for you to be able to reinvest back in the property. It's just very exciting to me. It's very exciting. And then the educational outreach is very exciting as well. So a lot of these things what we're talking about here is, you know, you will be able to see either on your iPhone, like with an internet mm -hmm. portal or just on a website, you're going to be able to see, you know, how much energy the building's using and how much energy this, the, the system is producing. So, I, you know, we, we, people do really well, I think, when they have good information, we can make good choices, you know? Well, we uh, certainly look forward to um, being able to share that from the Visit Roswell uh, destination website as well. I think people would get a kick out of oh, that. Oh, yeah, you know, that we, would be we, great. You got it. We get, you know, thousands of people a month um, that, that are actually new users to the site. So it's good exposure for you all. We certainly look forward to um, helping you out there as well. Super. Um, See, so, Andy, I want to mention because only because Simone, you had asked her the question of where are we at right now with the solar roof. So yeah. we we're so hopeful if this um, podcast, if if you, you as a listener are listening to this podcast, we have we're going to go into much more detail about the system and our partners on Thursday, June tenth at six p.m. And it is a virtual event called Solar Powered Southern Charm at 6 p.m. The tickets are available through Eventbrite. And, um, and, and even if you're listening to this after Thursday, June 10th, 2021, that segment will be posted on our website. So um, would love for those folks to be able to join. So go to friendsofmimosa.org. Tickets are free. 
um, at Eventbrite. There's a link on that web page, friendsofmimosa.org. So we'll kind of wrap up. This has been great information, and I want to make sure you both have the opportunity to share perhaps something about Mimosa Hall and this project that the general public might not know. And I know, honestly, a lot of the information you have shared is probably going to be new knowledge to a lot of our listeners. But is there anything that you feel stands out where, where our listeners would be like, whoa, like that is a total shock or something I just had no idea about? This is your time to, to talk about what that is. Well, I've got one. I don't know if how, I find it very exciting. Yeah. So when I was up in the attic, all right, um, and we were, um, you know, pulling the leads through from the solar PV system, I, I was up there for several hours and I noticed that the construction up there, so it's an old post and beam kind of construction and mm -hmm. the rafters are pegged. And someone had carved Roman numerals in the pieces that go together at all of the joints. Huh. And I found that absolutely fascinating mm -hmm. because that's like a little, you know, uh, footprint or fingerprint from someone that's hundreds of years old now. Right. And I just, yeah, I just, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I just found that um, very heartwarming it's always really cool to uncover things like that it kind of speaks to that that era of time um i agree that's that's a cool fact i, I didn't know that simone uh, that's uh that's good for me to know as well that's awesome kelly so i feel like almost every week if not <laughs> every day we're over at mimosa we we learn something new whether it's through one of our board members that's done research or somebody we have an event and somebody turns up that that has information that um hasn't been documented but very early on the project um we learned that uh president carter and his family had been friendly with the hansels and uh, we were lucky enough uh, to have somebody who had a connection with uh, their assistant um, down in Plainville, Georgia. And we've been able to make a connection and keep them plugged into um, how the project's been going. We, um, yeah. His grandson has been uh, very generous uh, keeping up and um, we've made friends with the, the Carter Center. And um, as part of the process, uh, and the, the listeners may know, when President Carter was in the White House, he was the first president to put solar panel um, on the kitchen, actually. And then um, they did a renovation. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But uh, when Reagan came in, he immediately took them off. And um, the, they went into a warehouse. And there is a school up in... Um, Massachusetts that actually saved them and went down to the Smithsonian warehouse and, and got them out of storage. And they themselves used them for many years on a building on campus um, and they worked just great. And then they themselves went through a renovation and um, upgraded their system. But I believe there was 32 in total and they have been um, sharing those and um, actually sold a few just to, to keep up with their programs and such. Mm -hmm. And we were lucky enough to um, several years ago make a connection with them and asked if we could we could have a, a panel having the connection with President Carter. His mm -hmm. aunt Sissy, of course, lived across the street, and that's right. where the connection with that was. Um, so 
you know, just at every turn, these panels are still working today. Our hope is that we'll, we will use one of these panels to heat hot water and maybe in an outbuilding like restrooms yeah. or such. But here we are, we celebrated two years ago, yeah. their 40th anniversary. Yeah. And um, 40 years later, they've proven they work just fine uh, 40 years later and can do the same output. So wow. our hope is that again, this will be an inspirational thing. This is technology that um, President Carter championed. Here he was from our own home state. His aunt lived across from Mimosa. When we connect all of these dots, it really truly is an amazing story um, to tell. And um, we can't wait to do it because there's lots more <laughs> oh, at yeah. Mimosa. Well, I feel like we'll, we'll definitely be doing um, you know more segments um, throughout the uh, the next months and certainly even in, in, you know over the course of the next couple of years as um, things really kick off and, and it becomes fully, fully functional the way it's envisioned. Thank you Absolutely. so much for letting us um, share this story. We're, yes, we're super you. excited to do it. And Andy, we cannot wait to get you over there so you can see the see the system in person. I mean, yeah, I've, I've been over, I've toured the inside, been up in the attic, but I've not seen it with the roof on. So I'm certainly looking forward to that. And um, this, has, this has been a wealth of knowledge. I think um, our listeners are gonna get a lot out of this. I know that um, I have and our staff will as well. And um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you all on. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much again for tuning in and uh, be on the lookout, obviously, for a next episode of Crafting Roswell for more information on things to do, places to visit, places to stay, areas to dine, a good craft beer to grab. Check out www.visitroswellga.com, and we will look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks so much.